Welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth King. Together, we'll have conversations with incredible human beings who have taken their creative outlet and turned it into something innovative. From people leaving the corporate world to be eight-figure entrepreneurs, to people who have created books, created a family, or just creating to have fun in the world. We are all in a journey to create something amazing in our lives, and I hope that you find some inspiration of your own here. This is the Creation Innovation Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Creation Innovation. Today, we have Dr. Amatma. She is a double board certified naturopathic doctor and endocrinologist and practiced for close to 15 years. She specializes in fertility and is the best-selling author of two books, Fertility Secrets, What Your Doctor Didn't Tell You About Baby Making, and Infertility Struggles, Secrets, and Successes. Dr. Amatma was awarded the Best Naturopathic Medicine Doctor Award locally in 2015 and 2020 and recognized as a top woman in medicine doctor in 2020 and 2021. Dr. Amatma is also the creator of Fertile Foundation Supplements, a line of research-driven nutrients to support your fertility journey, and she is the host of Egg Meat Sperm Podcast. In addition to supporting couples through individualized care in person and in long and long distance, she also trains practitioners who want to specialize in fertility. She has been featured as a holistic fertility expert on ABC, Fox, CBS, KTLA, Mind Body Green, The Bump, etc., along with being interviewed for countless podcasts on topics of fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum health. So welcome, Dr. Amatma. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Elizabeth. Oh, gosh. First of all, congratulations on all of those amazing awards and accolades. That's incredible. I think it's, it's so it's, funny to like sit and listen to your own bio because like, oh, yeah, yeah, that did happen. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I kind of like am a so badass. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. fun to hear all of that good stuff. So today I feel like we're going to just jump into all of the things. But first, for anybody who might be a little bit confused, what is a naturopathic doctor? Because I think as people are going into fertility as well, there there's so many different you know acronyms and things mm-hmm. to be figuring out. So, what is a naturopathic doctor for those yeah. that are listening that may not know? Yeah, that's a really great question to start with, actually, because we are essentially like trained in formal medical programs that focus on holistic medicine. So, and when we talk about holism, it's really like mind, body, spirit, instead of breaking down a person to their dis-ease or illness, it's really about seeing like, where is the health and how do we reinstate health? So I think that naturopathic doctors can ask very different questions than your normal doctors and they can become that like partner that you could have on your journey to fertility or healing in general right so if you're like hey i have lyme disease or whatever how a naturopathic doctor would think about something is really going to be different even if their strategies or protocols are very similar to like functional medicine where you get a bunch of supplements to take it's really when you start with different questions, you end up with very different insights and very different information that you may process or put together uniquely than 
potentially someone else who's trained in a different way. That's a great way to explain it. I think what I love about naturopathic doctors is they, they see more, and I, not to say that MDs are not, but they see more of a partner in your overall health, in all things around your health. They're not just looking at the one. You go in there saying this is what is happening, but yet they look at everything that could be pointing to that in, in the ways of helping you to not only heal, but like thrive in your life in all the ways, right? So you may think, oh, I have a headache, but really that headache is because of something else. And then they mm -hmm. keep digging to help mm -hmm. you find what that is. And they're the partner on the journey of your overall health. And I think when you're on your fertility journey, that's such a small point of your life, fertility specifically, right? Mm -hmm. We we know we generally have a, a, a window of that and then you move on to other things. Well, that doesn't mean that we still don't need to be focused on women's health and your own health, men or women for that matter, right? So mm -hmm. having somebody who understands that big picture, I think is really critical than just, okay, I'm onto this doctor, now I'm onto the next. And I feel like naturopaths generally, because they look at the holistic person, you know, it's more of a, a journey together, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you said you mentioned headaches and that's like a perfect example of where naturopathic medicine would differ is like, well, is it from food sensitivities? Is it from your hormones? Is it from stress? Is it from uh, like a million things that could be happening yeah. to cause a headache where most other types of doctors might be like, hey, here's this thing to fix your headaches, or here's a supplement to fix your headaches. It doesn't matter, right? So I think it's really like asking those deeper questions of the why is this happening that really sets sets us apart from potentially other providers in that similar kind of space. Yeah. And it's at least in my experience, it's certainly not the 15 minutes like in and out the door type of <laughs> doctor appointment. So if you do go see a naturopath, be prepared because they do get deeper into all of those questions, which yep. has always blown my mind of like, how can I see a doctor and they're in and out in like five or 10 minutes? Like <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast conversation. Yes. Um, so focusing on fertility today, can you tell us, we're just going to go through this list yeah. of some top things for people who may be starting to go down this path, starting with tracking your basal body temperature. What is that? Why is it so important for those that are listening? Because some of you may have already done it. Some of you may think I need to be doing this. I think I read about it on Google or something. <laughs> um, so if you can tell our listeners what that's all about. Yeah, absolutely. So basal body temperature tracking is essentially taking your temperature first thing in the morning. It's optimal to take it within the first like minute of waking up don't get distracted on your phone, right? I, I tried this out for a month and I could barely take my temperature for four days because I kept forgetting. <laughs> I wake up, look at my phone and boom, like all things yeah. go haywire. So you got to do it like as soon as your eyes open, don't go to the bathroom, don't brush your teeth. And then really it creates a map of your temperatures throughout the course of a month. And the biggest like use case quote unquote is when you see that like bump in temperature it's a rise that's above half a degree that's confirming 
ovulation. So it's not predicting it, it's the confirmation that ovulation has happened. And assuming that your temperature stays high the whole luteal phase or post-ovulation time, uh, it confirms like, hey, you have enough progesterone being produced because progesterone is a heating hormone. So it raises your core body temperature and that temperature should stay high through the entire luteal phase. Most practitioners stop there. <laughs> That's the core of what BBT is for. Like, hey, we confirmed ovulation. See you later. Right. In our practice, we actually prefer to have consistent BBT tracking to understand what's happening under the surface with hormones. So we've noticed that through lots of like pattern tracking that we can predict or tell when FSH is going out of whack, when estrogen is going out of whack, when progesterone is out of whack, and the deeper thing of thyroid, gut health, adrenal health, which all show in BBTs. So BBT tracking for us is really kind of core to what we do because it gives us so much information about day-to-day -day progress rather than like, oh, we only know what's happening when we test your hormones at a particular date in time. And it's really just a snapshot. It's not that like full month view of what's going on. Right. And it, it is actually sort of cool when you get to see month after month of how your body fluctuates and what's happening and helps you to understand what to look out for for your own body symptoms as well, right? Like maybe you're having night flashes, you know, during this time and you can see, oh, that was consistent to last month around that time or my cervical mucus is different during this time and that time. And it helps you to understand the whole process of your cycle and your body of how that's meant to be working. Do you do this with patients that are not trying to conceive as well? People that are post babies to, to figure out hormone regulation and everything? Or is it primarily just people that are in that period of trying to conceive? Yeah, uh, I think for us, like 99% of our practice is all fertility. Right. So that we do suggest continuing BBT tracking, at least through the first trimester. Um, we've realized that we will actually see a shift in temperature about three days before a hormone shift is noticeable on lab tests. And that's about a day or two before a potential miscarriage. So we can kind of like be extremely proactive in preventing pregnancy loss if we're seeing the temperatures throughout the course of the first trimester. So that's pretty consistent. The postpartum period, there are a lot of women that continue on with support postpartum, but often they're not so much focused on hormones at that point. They're just like, how do I breastfeed? And how do I like take care of the baby? And this, yeah. the baby has cradle cap. What do I do? Right? Like all of that kind of yeah. stuff. All the um, newborn crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. So we do a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I, I think the value of it is certainly present to be able to do temperature tracking as a way to support hormone balance, even postpartum, it can be really extremely useful. Yeah. I just think because whenever, when people are so focused on 
trying to get pregnant and then they have their kids and whatever, they kind of move on from it, right? And then ignore anything else for the rest of the time until potentially there's an issue. And I feel like keeping your hormones regulated, whether you're trying to have a baby or not having any more children is so important because it's our overall health indicator of what's happening in your body, regardless of whether you're not, you're actively trying to have a baby or not. But yeah. um, well, thank you for educating us on that. Second, how do birth control pills affect future fertility? I know that's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> and for those of us that are in the industry, it's one that we like to talk about, but let's hear from you. Yeah, so evidence-based approach would say that birth control only impacts the uterine lining and prolonged birth control use has been shown to thin the lining of the uterus, which makes it harder for implantation and harder to carry to term. Uh, and that's pretty much it in terms of what is suggested by research or what has proof, quote unquote. Outside of that, there are a lot of impacts that are not uh, evidenced in research because no one's looking at this stuff, not because it doesn't exist. It's because no one's looking at it. So in terms of what I see often or what is like the lowest hanging fruit as far as like long-term birth control use is the impact that that has on your nutritional status. And we know that the use of birth control causes very specific nutritional deficiencies, zinc, magnesium, B12, B6. There are some extremely important vitamins and minerals that your body is going to be deficient with because you use birth control. And those are really easy to fix, right? Like take yeah. a prenatal, done. Yeah. Um, the second tier thing is that we also know through a lot of evidence that birth control affects the lining of your gut. So you are more likely to have microbial dysbiosis or, or like microbes that shouldn't be in your gut present in your gut or the ones that should not present in your gut. And, and then we know also from different studies that whatever is happening in your gut is also happening in your uterus. So there's a link between the gut and the uterus, and then there's a link between birth control and the gut. So to my brain, I'm like, well, actually, there, that means there's evidence that this is going to affect your uterus. But and we the haven't brain, made that speaking of, right? <laughs> And we know <laughs> and the brain so people yeah. will get depressed they'll have mental issues Absolutely. fog etc so yeah it's all related yeah yeah Absolutely. and the sad thing is is i feel like most and i generally speaking i know there's some doctors that don't do this but it's like you have a painful period oh here's a birth control pill oh you have acne here's birth control pill he'll you know it's very it's like you know sad to me that it's given out so frequently and so nonchalantly without mm. really recognizing how does this affect these people and in a lot of cases young young girls you know long term yeah absolutely and like and and that was going to be my third point is like the long-term impact of young women being put on birth control for whatever hormonal imbalance they came in with 
is often they're told birth control is fixing your hormone imbalance. And we know that the reality is actually it doesn't fix anything. If anything, it makes it worse. Absolutely. But when they pull that Band-Aid off, sorry, now there's like pus growing and there's, we essentially got to cut your arm off because you put a Band-Aid on and you never took care of it and you never like addressed the deeper thing. So I'm using that as a very ugly (laughs) example, but it's essentially like- Dr. Amatma. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why my brain went there today, but it's um, it's really like putting a Band-Aid over something that if you were able to get support for sooner, you really wouldn't end up with potential fertility issues down 20 years down the line because you took care of the fact that your hormones were irregular and you potentially had PCOS and you figured out how to manage it. And now having managed that for 20 years, that person is going to have a much different fertility outcome than the person that had PCOS, was given birth control, never addressed it, and gets to being 40, wanting to get pregnant. Those two people are going to have extremely different outcomes. And I also hear a lot of people say, well, it was, you know, it was non-hormonal or it was, you know, whatever, that they seem to be getting this justified answer from the doctor of like, oh, don't Mm -hmm. worry. It's like a low dose of hormones or or there's no hormones at all. It's just, you know, a physical IUD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what are your thoughts on that when people are? kind of using that as a reasoning or a justification of it's not that bad. Those, the IUDs in particular have less of an impact. That's not to say they're completely faultless, but they're, the hormonal impact is a little bit lower. So you're going to see less continued imbalances, but even that like low amount of hormones that are, for example, in like the Mirena IUD is going to be enough to create enough like ease, quote unquote, in your period, in your cycle for you to feel like, oh, this is no longer a problem. Like, I've resolved my cramps because I got this IUD and I no longer have cramps. And sure enough, your body is like, oh, there's enough like hormonal shift happening locally that your muscles no longer cramp, your uterus no longer cramps every time you bleed. Does that mean that whatever the hormone imbalance was is now gone away? No, not necessarily. And Unfortunately, when a lot of people get those IUDs taken out, they realize, oops, like there's different hormone imbalances now because my local reproductive system is used to having this low-grade hormone all the time that it doesn't know how to function without it. Right. And don't get me wrong. There are some people that can have these sorts of things, get off of them, get pregnant right away. It's not an issue, but essentially you're disrupting the way your body is meant to function. And then people take them out or stop taking the pill and then expect to get pregnant within a few months to be like, why isn't it happening? 
Well, because yeah. it's not been functioning the way that your system is meant to be functioning, right? So that alone is like very confusing, I think, for the, the reproductive system. And so if you just take that as a very high level of why would you do that to your body and then expect it in return to be like, okay, no problem. Like, we'll get right on that and get you pregnant. <laughs> no problem. After we've been on the pill or something for, you know, 15 plus years. Yeah. So I think it's definitely if somebody's considering it or being told to, to go on something, recognize that the reason you're having cramps or the reason that, you know, your cycle is off is because there's an underlying issue. And if you're going on that, that like Dr. Amatma said, that's just a band-aid. You're not, you're not solving the problem and you really want to get to the root of that before you do get to a point of wanting to try to conceive because it'll just be worse down the line, most likely. So, well, thanks for that input. Now, what are your best tips for optimizing fertility? <laughs> uh, so, gosh, so many. Uh, let's start with the foundation stuff. So eat, eat real food. Try not to eliminate like entire food groups while you're on this journey. And obviously like lower the inflammation that might be happening through food. So the most inflammatory foods are things like gluten and corn and dairy and potentially soy, questionable, but yeah, like we put it in there. Um, and those are really good starting points to actually take out, give your body like a few weeks to see does, is there a noticeable change from me taking away these foods? Wait for an entire cycle so you can see like, oh, I had lower cramps when I didn't eat all that sugar this month. Then you know that taking away this food actually made a difference in some way to your body, right? Yeah. So getting that feedback and being able to say, when I do this thing, I can correlate it to this outcome in my cycle. And like our cycle is such a great feedback system. It's almost instant, right? Like yeah. if I eat too much sugar in a month, I guarantee that I have worse PMS and worse cramps every single time. And it, it's often, it has often dawned on me when I have like horrid cycles, like, dang, what did I do this month? And almost always I can correlate it to something that like, oh, I took on way too much, stretched myself so thin, didn't actually do all of my self-care practices. There's a feedback loop. And that like that feedback that we have as women is something that we can treasure. Like I, honest to God, like feel like, man, there's no feedback loop for the men. <laughs> and I often tell them this, like, there is no way outside of me doing another semen analysis to have any idea of whether or not things are improving. And that sucks. I'm sorry that you have to keep giving sperm samples to understand if there's yeah. any change. Right. But unfortunately, like, that's all I've got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas with women, I'm like, I don't need to keep redoing your hormones. We have the feedback systems being right. like, nope, what you did had no impact or what you did had a really good impact. 
Right. And uh, I think just keeping a note of that, because most of us are just so busy in our day, day to day, we don't think about our cycles that way. But knowing that, okay, what ha was I not sleeping this month? Was I stressed this month? Was I traveling this month? Was I eating too much sugar? Not enough, whatever that mm -hmm. I it's it's actually really cool, like the the BBT tracking to see how that goes. And I'm such a data driven person, a black and white person. So to see all of those things on paper to know like, oh, I did this and this happened. I did that and that happened and whatever. I feel mm -hmm. like really makes a lot of sense to me. So that's yeah. I, food. I 100% agree with you there. Yeah. <laughs> what other tips for you? Uh, awesome. So my second tip that I think is foundational is sleep and optimizing our sleep wake cycle. Yes. And I know that we talk about it a lot in the functional world, but I think for the average person, it should translate to you not only are going to bed, quote unquote, on time, but that you get enough rest to where you wake up in the morning feeling rejuvenated and excited for your day. And that to me, that's the ballpark because I think there's a lot of people that are like, oh, but I get eight hours of sleep. And then you ask them like, how do you feel when you wake up? And they're like, oh my God, can I sleep for like three more hours and have a cup of coffee and then I'll talk to you? And I'm like, yeah, that's not telling me that you're actually getting good sleep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'm kind of laughing to myself because I feel like I have not been in that sleep realm in a six and a half years since I started having kids. <laughs> but I'm hopeful that at some point I will get back to that. But I think that, you know, that's the reality, too, for people that are having multiple children that mm -hmm. are, you know, I'm trying to get pregnant, but I have a newborn or I have a not necessarily newborn, but a toddler or whatever. And that lack of sleep really does affect things. So mm -hmm. doing whatever you can to, you know, lean on family, partner, whoever to help you get some good, decent rest in that, as Dr. Amatma is saying, really does optimize your fertility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I truly believe that that sleep-wake cycle is kind of the foundation for our monthly cycle. And it's for both men and women. And there's so much research happening right now around how melatonin is impactful for fertility. Yeah, Melatonin is one of these hormones that is essentially like rejuvenating to our reproductive system. Yes. And it's one thing to supplement melatonin. It's another thing to produce it internally. Oh, right. And, and this is the same. It's like, well, can I just supplement it? Can I just put it in a bottle? And sure, yeah, like on the surface, melatonin supplementation will help. But at the core of it, like we have to figure out how we can support your body to produce your own melatonin because it's crucial that this vital restorative process is happening every single night um, as I mean, within reason, right? Like if you have a toddler, I kind of get it. Um, but wherever we can, we want to influence that uh, outcome by biohacking your sleep and knowing that you have a solid foundation for all of your fertility hormones, man, men or women, uh, yeah. to be founded on. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's my second tip. And then the third is I'm probably going to go to another like foundational thing that I see all too often, which is dehydration. And dehydration is questionable because a lot of people are like, oh, but I drink so many fluids. And to me, if you're dehydrated and there are tests for this, like um, we're using this like pee on a urine strip to see like what your hydration level is, um, which is fun. (laughs) But you also just know if you're dehydrated, right? Like your body tells you. Uh, and the impact on fertility for men and women is the decrease of fluids. So you, the hydration in your body is how your body produces cervical fluid or seminal fluid. And if you don't have those things happening, then guess what? Your fertility is shot. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a guy that is dehydrated and don't have seminal fluid, you can have all the sperm in the world, but you don't actually have the fluid to to guide your sperm to get to the egg. You're not going to yeah. get your woman pregnant. Not going to make it there. <laughs> not going to make it there. And then on the female side, like if you don't have cervical fluid, that's a, a signal that your body is kind of shut off reproduction. Right. So when you're turning those pathways back on and you're getting the amount of hydration and fluids into your body guess what all of a sudden your body makes cervical fluid and you're like oh i feel different and like what's happening and and then we talk and i i'm usually like yay that's awesome it's like no but it's so like wet and like it's supposed to be that's good news <laughs> it's a yes. good thing yeah. yes yeah. So that also helps it guide it there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So just like on the foundational level, if, if we did these three things regularly, then I truly believe that a, we can preserve our fertility for longer and b um, really massively get into a more fertile state. I'm not saying that everyone's going to get pregnant from doing these three things, But if you're doing these three things in a way that makes sense and works for your body and works in sync with your body, then you have set up at least the right foundation to take some supplements or do some testing and then figure out what's going on outside of those things. But those are going to be core to getting you pregnant. (laughs) amazing so those are the optimization what are the three misconceptions that people have around their fertility oh uh well it's i think the big 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 one is we are going to be suddenly not fertile after 35 and i think we've talked about this on offline it's like the myth or misconception that we are given so early in life and then it's reiterated by media by our doctors who are like oh you're 33 you're too old and like it's getting it's getting to the point where it's a little bit ridiculous like 33 is close enough to 35 so you're already infertile because of your age 
Yeah. Uh, and this came like I got so irate. This woman told me her story, nine cycles of IVF. Wow. And she went through each cycle and like pulled all of the numbers. And she was like, this is how many eggs they harvested. This is what the outcome was. This is how many fertilized. This is how many made it to grade A blastocyst day five, like the whole breakdown. And we went through that whole process. And I was like, so what did the doctor have to say for you? And she's like, well, I'm 33. So he said, it's basically my age. And that's why I can't get pregnant. And I'm like, okay, let's break this down. So I literally like, I'm like, they're getting from you. She's been going through this for three years. And I was like, there's literally zero change in the number of eggs harvested in each cycle. Like they're always getting 20 something eggs, right? Wow, and that's well, actually that, that a really good number. That is impressive. Good for yeah, her. And, and that's awesome. Like yeah. right off the bat for someone like us that's looking at that, we're like, well, it doesn't sound like you're the problem. Yeah. And then you get to like what happened when they fertilized and every single time it drops off to like one or two when the sperm is introduced and the the few that make it to fertilization don't make it to day five mm. so i literally was like based on what i'm seeing yeah i would actually venture to guess that your partner needs a dna fragmentation test seems pretty obvious yeah right and um and at, like, she was like, oh, what's that? And like, I wanted to scream and cry and like punch this doctor that she's been working with at all at the same time, because I was like, I can't believe that there are doctors out there blaming this woman who is 33 by this point. For the egg quality. For egg quality based on it's your age when they have never once looked at the guy. And like we know when you're fertilizing, like if the sperm are not good quality sperm, I don't care if there are millions of them, if they're not high quality, sorry, they're not going to go anywhere. Like, the embryo, yeah. <laughs> that's just part of human yeah. reproduction. Right. So it, it is, it's like so obvious and also simultaneously like such a big misnomer that so many doctors like freak women out and they keep telling them like oh it's your age it's your age it's your age and like that's unfortunate because it literally takes the control away because what can you do about your age like right. most of the time we don't know that we can reverse our age and that there are things that we can be doing, but it's all starting with this like misconception that is so ingrained in our culture. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, that's a big one. Crazy to me. I feel, you know, I did have my kids over 41 and all three, 41 to 44 naturally, mm -hmm. and had the doctors say, well, you should probably try egg donation and this and that, not even looking at anything other than how old I was, right? And like, <laughs> like um, Let's yeah, base this on some real data yeah. besides age. Like if we right. put that aside, what else, is, what else you got? Totally. <laughs> and there's so many, so many people having children over 40 and for sure over 40, 35 yeah. that we, it, to me, it's like, okay, can we 
the jig is up. Can we now like say <laughs> something other than ovarian, you know, like egg quality because yeah. you need to you got you need to find something new, right? Yeah. Like yeah. granted in some cases that that is true, but yeah. I think overall it used to be very much a blanket statement of well, you're old, so you know, whatever. <laughs> Speaking of, that's kind of my next question to you is do you feel like we can reverse ovarian age? Yes, that's per that's like absolutely. Yes, we can. And what's really exciting for me is that there is a test now that can test ovarian age and we're doing some like exploration of how we can maybe put strategies in and we did this with a few people. Um they started out where their ovarian age clocked higher than their actual biological chronological age. Yes. So we were like, okay, so let's do some strategies. Let's put some things together and then retest you and see if that changes your age. And sure enough, they come back and they're like years younger than they were. Yeah. And we can see these changes happen within three to six months. So we know that we can actually impact major things by natural means. Um, so yeah, it's it's super exciting to yeah. be in this field right now because I feel like there's so much innovation and so much like attention being paid to fertility because it's becoming such a massive issue. Right. And it's so, I mean, I think for you, like I can tell for you that it's exciting. I get the same way. Like I geek out on it. Like, <laughs> it's so cool to me because yeah. I think it's just this new opportunity and new narrative that is now coming up to play of it is possible. It is not necessarily just because of your, you know, chronological age that it's going to be that and how, and, and you can affect change, which amen to that right uh, and of course we can right i think yeah. that's the biggest thing of course we can affect change if we can affect change with all the other cells in our body and things that are happening you know there's it's pretty magnificent yeah so how can people find you dr amatma and work with you and get pregnant with you and all the things <laughs> the best place for us to connect would be instagram and i'm at holistic fertility doctor um, we're really active on there. So just reach out. We're happy to chat and see if we can support you. Awesome. And you also have a program for practitioners as well. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And it's actually, um, we launch once a year. So we only like take in a few doctors that we want to support or a few coaches or whoever um, to mentor and support and nurture to become amazing providers for fertility. I mean, that's fantastic. We've again talked about this offline in the fact that we both are such huge proponents of educating more people in the world of fertility because it is becoming, it isn't not that it's becoming, it is such a need out there in the world and helping to get people to understand that more and edu educate them more is yeah. awesome. So thank yeah. you for doing Absolutely. what you're doing. You too. <laughs> we will continue our conversation soon, I have no doubt. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creation Innovation Podcast. 
Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to the Creation Innovation Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Yes, we actually do send out gifts. It's my favorite thing to do. So visit us at elizabethking.com backslash creation innovation for more information on how to enter. Every review counts and we are so grateful. You can follow me at the official Elizabeth King on Instagram or TikTok. Until next time.